You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Logan, guess what? What? I got questions. Yeah? Let's do it. You're listening to Cornfield Theology. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here, pastor of Redemption Hill Church located in the Des Moines Metro. Thanks for taking interest in this particular podcast, another edition of Cornfield Theology, where we come at you with all the hot and heavy questions, right Logan? Yeah, the hottest and the heaviest questions. Yeah, the, the hardest questions, hottest, heaviest, hardest Alliteration. This is, no, this is bad. This is going to run. <laughs> we are off to a horrible start on this podcast. But I'm really looking forward to um, having this conversation where we're going to talk about some difficult questions that Christians need to tackle, uh, need to address. And so with us today is producer Corey. Cor- hey, good morning. What's happening, man? Hey, just uh, visiting from Minnesotan. You see, you get the- <laughs> from Minnesotan. Yep, that's, that's, <laughs> my, that's my identity. You're so northern. You can hear it in the voice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you betcha. So hey. we got some uh, we got some questions for you guys today. I'm gonna kind of represent the yeah the the the, the curious and um, you know inquisitive side of maybe somebody who's on the outskirts of Christianity or uh, yeah. is just a plain atheist. Well, I mean, even it's, I, we were looked at these questions earlier, right? Hmm. I mean, these are questions that Christians need to be asking and need to be wrestling with as well, right? So you got the I mean, I think Christian or non-Christian, you got to be curious and be like, okay, you know, this is what we believe about said you know, theological event or part of the Bible or whatever. Now, how do we address some of these objections mm-hmm. that come to, or these questions? So I think it's good all the way around. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And uh, before we get there, we were talking about fitting stereotypes. Do you fit the Minnesota stereotype? Now I lived up there for 13 years in the twin cities. Logan, you were born there. Yep. You were born there. I assume. Absolutely. So do you fit the, st- the stereotype? Uh, there, there are lots of them. Um, I, I feel an eternal shame every time I uh, say, oop, let me sneak past you. Um, <laughs> it has been brought to my attention many times and it just rolls right off the tongue and <laughs> you whack your head afterwards. Yeah. There's this one, um, saying in Minnesota, I still say it where someone says something to you, it's kind of like objectionable or weird or just nonsense. You're like, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's like a polite way of being like, what a dumb comment. Oh, right. yeah, no. Or like if there's food that you don't like, be like, oh, this is very interesting food. Yeah, this flavor. is interesting food. If a Minnesotan starts to use interesting, it's probably in a negative sense. <laughs> yeah. Passive aggressiveness is a pastime. Yeah. Totally. I would say my Minnesotan aneurysm that I still kind of use is, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I oh, did. yeah. I always say, sure, sure, sure. It's those long vowels. Yeah. When I was in North Carolina, so I was in, lived in Minnesota for numerous years, then moved to North Carolina for seminary, and they were totally picking up on my accent and I had adopted it cause I, I grew up in Iowa, you know, I didn't leave till my early twenties. And so I just being a part of the culture, you start kind of picking up on the language and they were, they were feeling it too. I think Iowa has like a neutral vibe in terms of its tone. I can get that. Yeah. I'd say pretty neutral. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's a study somewhere that talks about the dialects, the and dialects. And yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel, like, I feel like when it comes to Minnesotan, you really don't get that really heavy Minnesotan accent yeah. until you start getting north of the Twin Cities. Right, right. Then right. they start pouring. You it start on. headed toward that Canadian border. Oh yeah, where where a lot I'm of truckers sorry. are currently ticking off the Trudeau government at present. Yeah, so sorry for for blocking the highways. Yeah, three of them in particular. Right, there's like the one in Detroit, the one at like the 
Minnesota, Canadian, North Dakota border. Yeah. And the one farther west, I think in Alberta uh, province, just south of Calgary. So all kinds of mayhem in Canada of all places. Like who would ever thought like the crap's hitting the fan in Canada <laughs> of all places. <laughs> like you really got to tick off an entire bunch of people of some of the nicest people, you know, in Canada. Anyways, we, we're not here to talk about that. We could be. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I love politics. All right, but questions. Do you like politics? I love politics. Do you like politics, Corey? Uh, I disdain it, but... Uh, uh, you engage in the discussion. I do, unless, unfortunately. Like a moth to the flame. There you are, driven back. Please don't. All right. <laughs> so how do you feel about... <laughs> dot, dot, dot. All right. Three hours later. <laughs> this is going to be a long <laughs> podcast. All right, let's get to it. Uh, objections to Christianity. We're not going to hit all the objections, obviously. There's... Anytime you have a religious tradition, a religious faith, um, it, you could take Christianity, Islam, pick it, right? You're going to have another side that mm. brings about the objections to said faith. And so uh, we're here to talk about that. In particular, I'm a pastor. Logan, you are seminary trained um, yeah. along with me. Intern. And so, intern. And so we've thought a lot. I mean, we think we try to think well about our own faith, right? Mm-hmm. And with an awareness that there are indeed objections. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that every answer that we provide is like the silver bullet. Um, sometimes that could be the case where it's just a clear, cut, dry you know, response. Uh, many times it requires more investigation, more thinking, more critical thought, uh, digging a little deeper um, into trying to find answers. And, and I think the other thing I would say is sometimes it's good to be content that while we want to have curious minds, we want to we th- think well about our faith, there are times where there is a mystery to mm. it. We don't get all the answers we hope. And I think that's really important, regardless of a person's faith. You know, I, and I especially true of the Christian faith, especially true of the Christian faith. We talked about this, I think, when we did our podcast on Calvinism. Yeah. And just the wonder, the mystery. Like, explain the Trinity to me. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I can, and I'm going to use language, not metaphors, but... There is, um, we are finite individuals on this side of heaven, right? And God knows much better. There, there has to be a way that God knows things that we don't. Um, and so I think, I think it's always good to remember that. So mm-hmm. that said, how do you, how would you, how would you propose to begin Logan? How do we propose to begin this session on addressing some objections to Christianity? How do you want to do this? Well, Corey is the main question. And he's a producer too. Yeah. So, so producer Corey, lead us. Okay. This is what we hired you for. So we talk about, um, if you do this well, I'll double your pay. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) How generous. You know, I, I, I have done math classes and zero plus zero. Okay. But well, well, today, by the way, everything's relative. So zero plus zero could be whatever you want. Great. So you can make up your salary. Excellent. And Logan's paying you. Well, you better whip out your checkbook. Um, I, I think, I think this is a good place to start is, you know, with, with looking at, where we are today, you know, there there have been almost, you know, five thousand gods, little g, uh, being yeah. worshipped. Why do you believe in your particular god? Why is God the god? Um, when we have all these, we we you talked about it, Islam. We've got different oh, yeah. texts Hinduism. that go back thousands of years, yeah, like the Tao yeah. Te Ching, yep. um, the the Hindu Vedas, and things like that. Why is the Bible? Why is God the one? Yeah, a couple thoughts on this, and um, 
full disclosure, I just read these questions this morning, like when I was sitting at the table when we had breakfast. No, we came well prepared. I mean, we came well prepared. We looked at these weeks in advance. We put through a lot of research. Sean, go ahead. (laughs) I love you guys. All right, here's my my initial response to that. One, uh, the Bible is really affirming on this in the sense that God, the God of the Bible is well aware of all these other quote, many gods, you know, and one of the things we see in scripture is God's jealousy for his people to worship him and him alone. And so we're not surprised that we read scripture that, that this dynamic exists, right? It doesn't get to your answer, but it does set it, set up a potential answer. Just this acknowledgement that there are many faith traditions that have existed since the beginning of the time, right? Mm-hmm. And so why do we believe in Yahweh, right? If you want to go back to Old Testament Hebrew, right? Why do we believe that he is the one true God? Um, several responses to that. I think there's always going to be an element of faith whenever you talk about any faith tradition, and it's especially true with the Christianity, that I believe in this one true God. We go to go back to Deuter- Deuteronomy 6, and we can cite the Shema. Um, the, the question that helped me get over the hump on why the God of the Bible is asking some of the most fundamental questions about humanity. So, quick story. I was saved in my early 20s. And I grew up Catholic. Um, so, I was a good altar boy all through high school, into high school. But went on a, went on a very intentional search. Had, had that curious mind that you're talking about. And so, started reading all of the books. The Quran, the Bible. Um, almost became Mormon at one point. It was more because of a girl than anything else. But I digress. But 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 did go on a genuine search. Who is God? Is there a God? You know, am I going to go down go down the atheist? I had some mm. friends who went down that road. And then I read a book that helped me process some things. Um, not a perfect book, but a book that was helpful. It was *Mere Christianity* by C.S. Lewis. And he began to probe the right questions. Like when we look at the world, we see evil. What do we do with that? When I look at my own life. I see sin. Like, I know what I've done. I mean, if I sat here and told and cataloged for you all the things that I did, I mean, someone's going to kick me out of a room real quick because I've done a lot of horrible crap to people, right? And so what do I do with that? And if and Christianity begins to answer that question, and not only what do I do with my own sin, but like how if God exists or a God exists or gods exist, you know, how am I reconciled and made right? And for my money, uh, Christianity provides the best answers to some of those most basic questions to humanity. And it explained to me how a person is made right. So we can go down the archaeological road even to talk about you know a defense of Christianity, for example. But for me, you know, apologetics, things like that. For me, the answer lies very personal asking some of those fundamental philosophical theological questions about humanity and about myself and then looking at looking around like who addresses this the best so that that's how i would begin to answer that it's mm. part it's very personal obviously a little test my own testimonies involved in that but it is fundamentally philosophical first for me i was trying to arrange things i'm sure i was looking at the world looking at my life and be like what maps onto this sure and and the word of god the bible has helped me see that um, 
there are answers to some of these most pressing questions. Logan, any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing that I well, always... Well, first of all, first, does that make sense? Yeah. Kind of the road I was going down here? Yeah. It was a long road, but all right. I'm just joking. Um, but no, I thought I made a the lot of sense. The long and winding road. You know that song? I don't. The Beatles. Go. Overrated. Um, what? I'm more, I'm more of a Stones guy. <laughs> he, he just said the Beatles are overrated. They're the best rock band ever. Stones are good, but not as good as the Beatles. Here comes here comes a hot take. I agree with him. With Logan? Yeah. I, 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 we're not saying they're not good. Just overrated. <sighs> well, we'll get back to the Beatles later. All right. In the, yeah, you're in, really. the, in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So, um, for me, when it comes to like the the truthfulness of Christianity, it gets really to the historicity of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because now we're really talking about, in a sense, apologetics. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge. So I, I'm apolog- thinking about it from yeah, yeah. I know. I'm kind of interjecting here to help people know how we think. Like I'm thinking, I love thinking through philosophy and theology. Not that you don't, but what people may not know about you that they're going to find out now is you love apologetics. Yeah, like that's your wheelhouse, man. So go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I love apologetics, and this leans more into what's called evidential apologetics, um, which is different from uh, presuppositional yep. apologetics. Yep. Which that should be a podcast. Yeah. Um. But like, so for instance, when you, Paul talks about how like Jesus died and he rose again and met 500 people mm. and some of whom were alive when he was writing that. So first piece. Corinthians 13, he, first Corinthians 12. He's much better at remembering the actual text. memory. It's nice to have. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I wish you were that good. Um, but that actually talks about, so when you're trying to study something that is historical, if you have documents that people are around when those documents were written and they could have verified the truthfulness of that document. That's extremely strong. So Paul was writing, Hey, Jesus rose from the dead. 500 people actually saw him after he was crucified. And lots of them are still alive to this day. What he's basically saying is like, if you don't believe me, go ask them. Um, so he's saying like, test my claim. Right. Now, a lot of people will object to that sort of argument because it's coming from the Bible. Here's the text, and I think Go it's important. It. It's 1 Corinthians 15. My apologies. I said 13. Uh, for I delivered to you as a first of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. So not only not only is it historical, like we can mm. verify with extra-biblical texts, like stuff that's not in the Bible, mm. that Jesus was a real man, he lived a real life, and he was crucified. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's debated. You got some fringe people who are maybe debated, but generally speaking, we have texts outside of scripture that make that same affirmation. And so we read it here in first Corinthians 15 in, in God's word. And so in accordance with scripture that he was buried, true statement, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scripture and that he appeared to Cephas, who was Peter and the 12, 12 disciples, and then appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, uh, though some have fallen asleep. And we talk about that's a we're not going to go down the rabbit trail, what is meant by that. And then appeared to James, then all the apostles, et cetera. And last of all, Paul says he appeared to me mm-hmm. on on the road. Yeah, so Paul there is just uh, establishing the event of, of Christ's resurrection. And to the people that he's writing, he's basically saying, like, you can go ask these people that did see him rise from the dead or mm-hmm. see him after he rose from the dead. Right. And some people will obviously object to that because they're like, well, then you're trying to prove the Bible with the Bible. Which I understand, right. um, but as you alluded to, there's other things that actually, other extra biblical historical documents that testify to three important facts: one that Jesus existed, yep. two that he was 
killed and crucified underneath Pontius Pilate. And at least people after his death claimed to have seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. And I think out of all of the explanations for why they made that claim, the most reasonable explanation is that Christ actually rose from the dead. Right. And you could say maybe it was a mass hallucination, except we know that the his appearance as being risen from the dead happened over a 40-day period. Yep. Like he was around with people for 40 days. You typically don't hallucinate for 40 days. And then along Depends with that. drugs you're on. Right? I'm just kidding. Long bender. Right. And it's like if you say like maybe three people happen to hallucinate the same hallucination, maybe. But we're talking about hundreds yeah, of right, people. right. Hundreds of people claiming that they saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Um, some people, you know, think that maybe the apostles made up the story. Um, except the thing is that the apostles were distraught. They believed that Jesus Christ died. They thought he was the Messiah. Right. And now he's gone. And they were afraid, too, that they were going to die just like Jesus. Right. So we read in the Gospel of John that they actually hid in, in a room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were so afraid. They knew Jesus died. Mm-hmm. And they were afraid. So, yeah, they, they had a very, uh, the self-awareness, like, oh, man, this actually happened. Right. And you see you see how much they believed their claim of Jesus being risen with the fact that many of them went to their deaths. Yeah. Like, if you think about, like, martyrs or, like, even, like, terrorist jihadists, like, they believe what they believe is true. And so they go and die for that. Right. If you're going to claim that these apostles made it up, you're claiming that they made it up. And for some reason, they tried to stick with that story so much that they would die for it. They and would die for a lie, which is extremely illogical. And I would add this. It's how they died. Yeah, not fun. Like, you know, when someone die, when someone kills themselves to kill others, that's one way of dying. Mm-hmm. Right? I think of uh, World War II, kamikaze pilots. As an example, mm-hmm. 9-11, another example, right? I'm dying on behalf of my God, and I'm taking others with me. Mm-hmm. That's so not the Christian way. The Christian way is I'm willing to sacrifice my life for others. It's a very, it's a massive difference when we talk about martyrdom, mm-hmm. and which I think is distinct to the Christian faith when you look at history in religious history in general. Yeah. But the, I mean, specifically the apostles are dying for what they saw. Yeah. What they saw and what they believed. Right. So it's, it doesn't make sense for them to try and die for a lie. What, what are they, what are they gaining? Yeah. I mean, what they gained from continuing this claim of Jesus as being King is further persecution, right? Further death, further. And when hardship. I, when I say, what do they gain? I mean like an earthly sense. Like right. Yeah. Die. They didn't gain power. Right. You know, they, it, it's just, and then there's also the fact that the tomb was empty, right? Like that is also an historical fact because if it wasn't, all they had to do was produce Jesus's body to squash this idea that he was resurrected. And there are various theories of, of, you know, Which, what happened to Jesus's body. You know, Islam's going to say Jesus was a prophet. Mm-hmm. So he was a real person who died. And I think they would, I, I'm fairly certain that the claim with Islam is that his body was stolen. I'd have to go back. Producer Corey, can you go fact check that? Sure. <laughs> As you <yeah. laughs> click, 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 nope. click. Um, yeah, it was like okay, so Jesus' body was stolen from a tomb that had centurion guards, right? Um, or um, that would have been under the penalty of death if they failed to guard this tomb. Mm-hmm. Um, or some people have the swoon theory yeah, that that yep. Jesus uh, 
was almost dead. Not quite dead yet. Are <laughs> uh, <Are you> happy? <laughs> and, I think I'll go for a walk. And so he got he got up and walked away. And it was like, well, he would have still been entombed with a giant rock in the way. Yeah. And then there's also the fact that he was stabbed in the side with a like a spear, spear yeah. up through his chest. Like, nah, <laughs> he ain't living through that. Yeah, right. So, so there's lots of different theories out there to to yeah. to in an attempt to reject what we mm-hmm. read in First Corinthians 15. Yeah. So I I mean I put my entire faith and I pin it on the historicity of the cross and his resurrection. And that's the whole point of First Corinthians 15 is you mm-hmm. continue to read like if it Paul says if Christ didn't rise from the dead then what's the point? Yeah. Then our faith is in vain and we are the people to be most pitied. pitied yeah. In a cursory cursory exam of what does Islam say about it's the see say that he was kind of like um, brought to heaven. Just he oh. wasn't he wasn't crucified. He was just brought to heaven. Okay. Um, oh, and uh, someone else was made to look like Jesus. Okay. Yeah, I've heard that. So that's that's just my un- that un- uninformed uh, knowledge of just a cursory uh, yeah no it's Google good. search. I think I remember, and someone else online can fact check me. Yes, Jesus was brought up into heaven, and I think they said Judas was made to look like Jesus and get crucified. Oh, okay. That's at least some of them. There's there's varying opinions with okay. him. Hey, but he got the he got those silver pieces. Yeah. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Oh, super no, great. No. <laughs> okay. Um so I think I think uh kind of talking with you Sean um yeah. about your podcast the other night um we, we won't go too far into this one, but I think I think one um that you know if you just hit on real quick is well, if 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 God is is so good, why does why does He allow these bad things to to happen to people? Why are there, yeah, why why is there so much you know strife in the world? Yeah, and, and we're really tackling this um, as we've gone through the Book of Esther. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this a little bit at breakfast, and Logan, I'll uh, give a, a little bit of an explanation, then you can chime in and um, be the cleanup hitter. The the fundamental fact is this. We live in a world of good versus evil. Now, how you define good versus evil is kind of the question on the table here. And where did it come from? Where did evil come from? We hold that um, sin entered the world. God made everything good. So we got to go actually go back to the beginnings. What's why beginnings are so important? God made everything good. Uh, he made Adam and Eve good. They were the crown jewel of his creation. And he gave them specific instructions to care and subdue and multiply and all the you know various various um, instructions that he gave them. And then sin enters the enters the world. They disobey God, and so that is the turning point in human history. That's when it all begins to go sideways. I and mean, when you go to chapter four, so we're in chapter three of Genesis, where sin entered the world. You go to chapter four. We read how Cain murders Abel. And right there, we, we get a picture of the effects of sin and what the sin of man in the, in the heart does. It made Cain jealous, and then he killed his blood brother. And so you begin to extrapolate that out into, into the rest of history. We're, we shouldn't be shocked that there's been wars between good versus evil. And a little bit of what we've been seeing in the book of Esther is that there's always been hostility against God's people. And there we see Haman, right? And then it's not just Haman. He comes from a particular ethnic group. 
um, that goes back hundreds of years of, of a people who's been trying, who have been trying to kill the people of God. So we shouldn't be shocked that there is evil in the world. I think that's mm. one of the, one of the premises we got to, right. We can come to that conclusion. We begin to sift out kind of everything else. Now, um, what about hell? What about people going to hell? If the premise is true that we're all sinners, we believe in a doctrine of total depravity, and God made everything good, and, and our sin is, is an affront against God, do any of us deserve hell? Well, we all do. Do any of us deserve heaven? None of us do. And so that's crucially important to think through when you work toward why does God do what he does? And so if, if, if God is the one who's ultimately good and we're not, God has every right to send us to the place um, of hell. That's his, his judgment and justice. It's his right. I've sinned against him. He's done. God is trying to give, give me everything that is good, and I keep rejecting it, you know. And, and God's like, that's what you deserve. But it's in his kindness and his love that he redeems and rescues some. Not all, hmm. but some. So that's, that's where I would begin in terms of answering that particular question. Logan? Yeah. Like with this question, it oftentimes gets like phrased in such a way of like, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there evil in this world that is happening to all these good people? And I take a little bit of a different route because um, I think about like, well, is there any actual good people that this evil things are happening to? Mm-hmm. And due to our state and our relationship with God, and I'm talking about just like the general populace of like non-Christians. Right. Of we live our lives against God, against him in rebellion and in cosmic treason. If you really assess people to God's standard, there is no one who is good. Right. There is not a single evil that happens on a good person because everyone is evil due to sin. Yeah. And we were, I was saying before the podcast, everyone around this table is a sinner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's, it's, it's kind of making that point. Go ahead, Logan. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, I mean, so that's it. Can be a little bit of a hard philosophical position to think about of like these bad things that happen to people. They're not happening to good people. They're yeah. they're happening to rebels who deserve the harshest punishment for committing cosmic treason, as R.C. Sproul says. Mm. And that's a hard that's a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. Now the question comes then, well, what about Christians? Like the Christians that have, you know, had faith and are saved. Now they're children of God and they're no longer children of wrath. Mm -hmm. Oh, we can go back to Romans that talks about like God works all things for the good of his people. Right. So that God doesn't promise to the Christian that their life will be without strife. He promises that the strife that comes, the hardship that comes is serving a purpose. Mm -hmm. And we have to have faith that the purpose that is that he has in his plan is of greater good than the suffering or the magnitude of the good that is going to come is greater than the magnitude of our suffering. The question is not, will you suffer? Right. The question is, how do you think about and process suffering that you, that you, that, that comes upon your life, the cancer, the loss of a child, etc. You will So we did, a, we did a sermon series on, at our church at the end of uh, 2021 and it was called suffering servant, suffering saints. And one of the premises is we're, we're all going to go through suffering. Mm-hmm. The question is, what do you do with that? Yeah. You know, I'm reminded of this uh, story. I forget her name and I always do 
Um, but it's the story of this woman who lives her entire life covered in boils and sores to the point where she has to lay on a bed 24-7 with like eight pillows just to be like semi-comfortable. But she spent all of her time praying and worshiping and writing hymns to God despite all of her suffering. Like the amount of like what sanctification and holiness that she gained from that and how much love she gained from for, for God, even in that midst of suffering, is just baffling. She truly knew, I think, like how to suffer well. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to put a plug in for a podcast that I recently did. Um, and that one would have dropped... This will drop after I recorded it yesterday with dear friends in our church, Aaron and Jocelyn Reichart, and they wanted to share their story because they've gone through tremendous suffering and pain and still going through grief, and that's the loss of two daughters. Um, one was brought to full term nine months, um, Lily, and the second one um, to six months, and that, that's hard. I mean, they have two wonderful boys who are flourishing or healthy but the loss of those two girls is was devastating for them Mm. and they talked about how how they've processed pain and grief so if you're if you're hearing this and you're like how do i make sense of that i mean we talked about that for an hour and a half i would encourage you to go to that podcast i think i think i called it Mm. suffering grief and the bitter providence of god or something like that um yeah i'm looking forward to actually listening to that to myself yeah yeah i don't think i'm gonna drop it maybe sometime this weekend Cool. Just got to kind of clean it up a little bit. But yeah, it, it's it's a reality. We, we all go through suffering. We ha, we ha, Evil exists. That's one of the premises here. And everyone suffers. That's another premise. And then the question is, in light of all that, how do we make sense of it? Mm-hmm. And, I, and again, I'm compelled to say um, from Holy Scripture that, that it is Holy Scripture that gives us the best answers to these really, really difficult questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go so ahead. let's uh, let's let's change gears just a little bit. Um, go a little bit more uh, lightheartedness. Um, there, there's there's many ways to kind of phrase this question, but you yeah. know, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of take a kind of a fun route. Is how, how did all the dinosaurs fit in the ark? How did all the dinosaurs? So your question has an assumption in that or, that the dinosaurs existed at the time of the ark. Sure. Um, so then then how did Noah fit all the different species? That were alive at I that like time. I like the first question. The, that was more fun. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let, you can you can address the dinosaurs. So I think that's a that's a good way of looking at it. Is did they exist at that time? So uh, there's there's a couple. Of my, uh, so f- there's a couple different theories on this, right? And the, regarding the dinosaurs, and um, I'll uh, give one, and then I'll have Logan give the classic view. You know the classic view of how to fit the dinosaurs in with the flood. Yeah, that the dinosaur bones were from the devil. What? I'm just joking. <laughs> well, that's that's an actual that's theory. A new one. Is it really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some people that believe that the devil put uh, dinosaur bones on the earth to test her faith. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay, I didn't hear that one. Where have I been? I don't know what this classical ver- version is. But okay, turn the Bible. Look it up. So, there's there's one theory that the, if you hold to an old earth theory, theory, it it could go something like this. That when you read the Hebrew in Genesis, that um, the Hebrew language there of in the beginning is actually referencing an undisclosed amount of time that that has already taken place. Right. And so one could logically fit 
dinosaurs into that space and hold to an old earth and yet literal seven day creation position. Um, John Selhammer, um, he is deceased, but he was a Hebraist, his scholar uh, of the Hebrew language. And without even going into like intelligent design or anything like that, he's just, he was strictly making that argument from, from the Hebrew language. And that's a compelling argument in my opinion. Um, it makes sense. It makes sense of some of the scientific questions um, that that exist regarding dinosaurs. Mm. Now, what we have with uh, the dinosaurs is like the flood killed all the dinosaurs, and then floods do what floods do is that it messes with the environment, and all of a sudden, for those who hold to like an, a young Earth view, they'll say, and that is, this is where I'm a little bit out of my depth a little bit, but that because of the flood and uh, the event itself, it made the bones look older than what they really are. Right. So some people hold that view. Now there's, isn't there like a arc museum Yeah, in like Kentucky, just South of Cincinnati yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe a road trip guys. Sure. Take, take a trip to the arc. We'll museum. celebrate outside the arc and maybe we'll have uh video cameras then too. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll fit it in our budget. Yeah. Right after you pay him. Yeah. Yeah. So there's different there's different theories on how to think about dinosaurs, and I think you have to settle: are you old Earth or young Earth? I mean, mm. the first thing, and then are you literal seven day you know creation, or is Yom the word for day in the Hebrew? Is that an undisclosed amount of time? Um, I tend to think it's twenty four. I think it's consistent with what we read in the Old Testament. Now, how do you get all the how the, all the animals onto the ark? I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there. What do you expect? I mean, was the ark huge? Yeah, it's huge. Mm. Did you get two horses on there along with like two little squirrels? Yeah, it makes sense. You know, I mean, does that account for all of them? I I would think so. Mm -hmm. Now, how did all that take place? You got like an aquarium over here and like a... You know, well, I, I don't know if you need. I think I think the fish can just be in the water. I, I think that's going to say plenty of water. <laughs> <laughs> plenty of water. <laughs> their their real estate went up. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess you could take a line from you know Jurassic Park and say, uh, "Life finds a way." Yeah, so, right. Um, I know. So I, I also actually hold to an older Earth, uh, older Earth view. So I'm. I'm I never said I held to an older Earth view. Uh, well, okay then. Then Logan. Uh, hey, Sean, do you hold to an older Earth view? I will not confirm or deny that. He does. <laughs> I do, Spoilers. and so I'm a, I'm 100 percent okay with there being dinosaurs yeah. before humans were were created, um, and that explains the fossil record. So they wouldn't have been around during Noah's Ark to actually yeah, go yeah. into the Ark. I do know that there is also a position that, like, when you look at the text, it talks about unclean animals and clean animals being put on there, birds. Um, and livestock and some have hypothesized that it's not like each individual kind of bird has to fit yeah. on there. It's like this the part of specific the... categories. So like there could have been a dog that had enough DNA for all the rest of the dogs that we currently have today. There's like a proto dog essentially. And he would have only had to have that dog on the ark right. rather than having like a schnauzer, a golden retriever, right. uh, you know, sure. all of those different kinds. So you only have like these different categories of animals that then after the ark, when they procreated and everything, started getting all these different variants. Because um, I don't, most Christians don't deny uh, micro evolution. That there can be you know slight changes within the within like, the species. species. Yeah. 
but they would deny macroevolution where a species will transform into another species. Like a fish becoming a dog or whatever. I guess that's not a good example. No, a dog fine. becoming uh, a cat. Right. Yeah. Robots or, in disguise. Robots in... What's that from? Transformers. Oh, Transformers. Yeah. I was... Uh, I remember growing up with the... You know, back to the kind of the dinosaurs, you know, saying that they, they ruled the earth. And, mm-hmm. and I always kind of took issue with that because... Um, I don't think you should give them that much credit because they that's administrative skills they most certainly did not have. <laughs> <laughs> well played, producer so, Corey. All right. Um, let's go to... Um, you, you kind of already touched a little bit um, with kind of quote-unquote fossil record and things like that. Is why, why are there so many what are called hominid fossils or, or fossils of humanoids, you know, bipedal, um, Neanderthal, Java man... Mm-hmm. Why are there so many of those around the world in various places if we didn't evolve? So define for me, how do you pronounce it? Hominoid? A hominid. Hominid, excuse me. So define it, define it real quick for me. It, it would be like a, it, it's a, it, it's a, a fossil that looks very human in, in structure, but is, is different. So they've got different skulls, um, different mm, okay. bones. Um, and, you know, I'm not, not expert at that at any yeah, means yeah. but there's just so many different ones that they've called um you know neander valley is in in germany yeah um yeah. and that's where they found a lot of these humanoid remains not necessarily humans so what's wrong with it i don't understand so if if argument. we've got all these why you know if the 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 could it have been a different species altogether potentially um, so that would be the argument like that's its own species and and humans are its own species the question on the table is: Did, did was there a jump from the did we, species? Did we come from to the there to, Correct. To, to where we're at? And I'm not convinced. That's micro macro evolution there. Mm. And I'm not convinced that there's the evidence for that. Now I'm not. I'm a pastor with theology degrees and whatever else have you. So someone can at me, I guess, and say, "Look at all this," and mm-hmm. you know, I'll call Ken Ham and you know, hey, how to respond to this, or whatever. And it's still it's still a good question to, to to consider and think about just because it is one that um, I know I've seen a lot of atheists go gotcha mm, sure kind of thing um, yeah. because they're just you know isn't a hard answer on it um, even even for them I don't think well I think I mean that's, and that's a, and I think that's a fair way to think about it we don't have definitive conclusions right so why would I hang my hat on that as a like a, like as a Christian I'm I'm like oh my goodness they they don't even know <laughs> so it's like what are we talking about here no one knows <laughs> yeah and it's like also it's like you know i think this is maybe more of a harder question for young earth creationists yeah, sure. versus old earth because like it's entirely possible that the lord would create various kinds of humanoid creatures that were close to human but not human yeah. but those weren't who you know, the human beings that he created in, in the garden. Right. Like when you have that old earth view, it leaves that room for the existence Correct. of other creatures that just didn't survive. Right. The natural world that God created. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to be careful. I think I, I said this already. I'll say it again. I'm not put off by questions where pe- where no one has a good answer. You know, uh, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, there's just some questions that are out there that we're not going to get answers to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to just simply sweep the question underneath the rug, but let's be honest about where we're at in terms of some of the, some of the potential answers to it. And 
the, the fact of the matter is we don't know. Now, I, I, I'm comfortable, and I can say with conviction, I don't believe in macroevolution. Um, I'm not an evolutionist. I, I move toward intelligent design. That's kind of where I land. That's where I hang my hat in terms mm. of tr- understanding the, this relationship between science and, and the Bible, for example. So we can, you can ask those good questions, but also say, I don't have an answer. I don't know. Neither, neither do you, not you, but you know, right. Whoever. So fair question though. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I think we've only got a couple more left. Um, this one's kind of playing. Um, I don't think this is a fair question, but it's a question that still gets asked is what scientific evidence do you have for the existence of God? Oh yeah. That's a great question. Why, why should I believe if I can't find any proof? Yeah. I just said, that I think there's plenty of proof. I think that's the fact of the matter. There's overwhelming proof that let's just start with a God exists. There is a creator. How we get into the details of that creator, we can talk about here in a moment. But this is where intelligent design for me is so important. So you have your classic creationist position. Let me just explain that real quick. Real quick. On one side, then you have um, another position of your evolutionary position, right? What our kids are being taught in the classroom, mm. basically. And then you have another category that has emerged probably in the last 30 years that's called ID intelligent design. Yeah. And I, I'm really fascinated with the intelligent design camp because it's taken an honest look at science and saying, do we see the fingerprints of a creator in the science? And I think the answer is absolutely. Uh, for example, um, you take you take the most basic cell in your body. For example, I think this is called irreducible complexity. Yeah. And Michael Behe is the one who came up with this particular the- theory. You take that most basic molecule or cell in in the human body. For example, it's still so outrageously complex that there's no way it could have evolved. It had to have been specifically made by a creator. Like, I didn't even think mathematically, honest math- mathematicians say the likelihood that it was created as opposed to evolving is much greater, that there was a creator yeah. behind it. I think also with the um, irreducible, irreducible complexity, I uh, forget what book I was reading. It was for one of my classes, but it was mm-hmm. talking about, I think, the flagellum of a cell, the yeah. essentially spinny part that yep. makes... That's um, exactly what I was the, talking about. Yeah, where the cell moves. If any of the parts you take one out, uh, it one all out, it, none of it works. Yeah. And so then, how did it come about and evolve into this extremely complex mechanism? When it, when evolving, it would have been useless actually to have those. Like there was no actual benefit if you took step by step, rather than it all being created all at one moment. So, so it's I think complex. It's like having an. It's like the idea of like trying to evolve an engine over time, but you just have wasted parts after wasted parts that would all have to come together to then finally make an engine. The classic example is a watch, right? You put a watch on, not not like an Apple watch. Let's take your classic watch with all the gears and whatever else have you. It just didn't all of a sudden um, evolve into that watch. Like you take the watch apart and you see the complexity of that particular watch. There had to have been a maker of the watch. That's kind of the classic apologetics answer that you get say in Bible college or whatever, but, the, but they're trying to make a point. Like you look at this world, you look at, you look at all around us. It makes more sense that there was a, an objective creator outside that created this world. 
as opposed to mm-hmm. this random primordial soup and game of chance that we're talking about. Right. And there's also the the fine tune tune argument. Oh yeah. Saying yeah. that the universe is so fine tuned to promote life uh, and human flourishing and for just existence itself that it it you know the conclusion would be that there would have have to be a creator. Um, now, some people would argue like, oh, yeah, the world is so fine-tuned with all its diseases and natural disasters and stuff like that. But Sin. that's not right. But that's not what actually the <laughs> fine-tuned argument is about. It's like right. it's going to like the fundamental, like the nuclear force. If it was a weaker or stronger by a fraction of a, you know, percentage, then it just would fly apart or crush itself. Yeah, like or the, the axis gravitational. Of the Earth. Or the gravitational force, if it was different in any way, you would either have the planets flying apart or crashing in on each other. Right. There's just so many different factors that if they were adjusted just slightly, the universe wouldn't exist. You know, you move closer to the sun by 1% right. and it's too hot to sustain life. If you move 1% the other way, it's right. too cold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's basically that, I, that something, idea. Something to that. I mean, yeah, this I gets into this exactly. like a mashup of intelligent design and apologetics. Yeah. That's some of our answers here. And, and with, with the Christian position on these scientific proofs for God, it, it's co- uh, co- community. No. Co- I don't know. Like what additional. Condition. Like, oh. <laughs> additional. Like, it begins like with a C. You're trying to build on top <laughs> of each other. Vocab's hard for me today. Uh, but it's like you see the complexity of some designs of simple mm-hmm. things like the cell. And you see how if like these tiny like constants of the universe if they were distanced like different by small percentage things just wouldn't work and you just come to the conclusion like something intentional would have had to come in order to create all of this Mm -hmm. and others will argue like no no it was just chance it just happened to be like that right it was like the possibility of this actually occurring is so infinitesimally small it's just impossible Mm -hmm. I for, I forget there was a mathematician that Michael Belinsky that talked about like right. there's so many Last zeros Belinsky. I can't remember. behind how little percent David Belinsky it is functionally it impossible. Yeah, I know his last name's Belinsky. I read his book, The Devil's Delusion, or something like that. But anyways, his last name's Belinsky. He's a mathematician and brilliant guy. He's got eighty PhDs or whatever. I don't know, but um, he, that's the point he makes. Like mathematically, if you just kind of work it out and people some people say math is the purest science um it's it's clear that when you when you weigh it out there had to been a maker um Mm. mathematically speaking like the chances that had to been a maker as opposed to some random spark or whatever and what's interesting the scriptures actually bear witness to this in romans when it talks about like god has made himself known to all people through creation yeah we call that general revelation yeah general revelation he attests to his power and to his majesty just through creation yeah romans one you go to romans one you get a clear picture you go to psalm 19 another clear picture of a god has generally revealed himself in what he has created which should put us in awe frankly Mm-hmm. Should, should, we should be like, oh, this is, I mean, look at the, the Grand Canyon. You look at the Rockies. I mean, look at, I mean, I am put in awe by looking at the cornfields. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're easy to please. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm a simple man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, knee high by July. That's knee that's high by July. And you get there and you're, you're, you're happy. I tell you you're what, not even the farmer. And here you're happy. in Iowa, it's not knee high by July. It's like chest high by July. Yeah. That's good soil. Have, you got some good soil. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also like some people will be like, well, I can't measure God. I can't weigh God. You know, he's immaterial. So I can't really know. It's like, but there's other immaterial things that exist, Mm -hmm. um, that you can't weigh like mathematical proofs and mathematical logic. It's, it doesn't physically exist. It's all immaterial. You know what I, you know what I can't see right now? 
your thoughts. Sure. <laughs> you know? See, but with that, they would argue that you could me- measure the brain waves. Yeah, sure. But with math, like the laws of mathematics and the laws of logic, they don't actually physically exist. They're not material. They're immaterial. And, and this gets to a fundamental understanding of, of humanity in general is that we all acknowledge the physical world because, you know, we touch this table and we, you know, you can, t- you know, slap your hand or whatever. Uh, no one dis- yeah, no one disagrees with that. What we, what we need to reconcile, though, is that we live in a physical and spiritual world and we are physical and spiritual beings. And so those two need to come together. And I think, again, once again, Christianity helps us to rightly understand mm-hmm. the fusion between the two. It's just, I think, the hardest for us to understand that immaterial spiritual world. And that's why it's so hard to try and grasp God. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no. Proving you, you him. Can't, you, yeah, yeah, okay. okay they Bad were. choice of words, grasping him <laughs> yeah. when he's immaterial. Yeah. I thought it was an intentional pun or something. It was unintentional. Oh, I caught him. I'm, I'm the him. pun police here. Cool. Um, how much time do we got left? No, keep going. All right. So um, let's do, I'm kind of, Logan's kind of following along, but I'm kind of mashing a few of these. Um, what purpose does hell serve? If if punishment is for sinful actions, shouldn't, shouldn't it be used for correctional purposes? Shouldn't you uh, do your time and, and be corrected? I've never been asked that specific question. Until I know now. that's that's kind of why I wanted to ask it. Is it? Yeah, it's it's one I've 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 thought about. Say, ask the question one more time. For so, my slow brain. what purpose does hell serve? Mm, okay. So, so we we are gonna you know the the the, the sinners are gonna go and, and serve their punishment there, but they don't get out. Um, if if that's true, why 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 wouldn't it be for like correctional purposes? Okay. Uh, yeah. I'll uh, again. I didn't. Look at all these questions. Can yeah, I throw this one? This one let me, I got two, two thoughts. And then and I got gotcha. you. No, just kidding. Like, one. Got you. One. <laughs> Look at me. Got you. Uh, one. God's justice is real. Um, we, we cannot divorce the love of God from the justice of God. We, like I said earlier in another question, we deserve hell. That is what we deserve. I think, I think the second thing is this. The time of corrections over. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we live on this earth right now, um, and there comes a point where God is going to execute His just wrath because of our rebellion and sin. And so um, there is time, in a sense, the way that you kind of framed it. There's, in a sense, we're in this time of you can correct. You know, I mean, isn't that a you issue all of a sudden? Not you specifically, but you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's on you, man. Like we just talked about how God has revealed Himself in creation. You know, Romans 1, uh, um, Psalm 19. And you're refusing to acknowledge it. That's a you issue. Sure. And so that's that's probably how I would begin to respond to it. I would want to think more deeply about giving more nuances to that. Uh, Logan, you wanted to chime in. Yeah. Um, so I think the idea that hell should be correctional is a, is wrong. Just uh, hell is a place of punishment. So like even in our human system, we have certain laws that if you break them, you're going to jail and you're not getting out. Like you're going to jail for life. Jail then is no longer a correctional facility. It is simply a place for punishment because you have done such a great evil. Yeah. And like when I, I've mentioned this before, like cosmic treason and stuff like like when you sin against God, you've, you've created an infinitely bad um, sin. It's sort of like if I were to punch Sean right now, legally, my punishment would be fairly light if he were to press charges. 
if I were to punch like a police officer, now I'm assaulting a police officer. Legally, my punishment would be all that more severe because of who the police officer is. If I were to go and try and punch Joe Biden or Donald Trump when he was president, the severity of my crime keeps going up and my punishment would be even more severe because of who I am actually attacking. My action isn't different. I'm still just punching someone, but it's all about who is that being done against. Well, God, who is undoubtedly infinitely better and higher than any of these, you know, human authorities. And when you sin, you are then committing a sin against an infinitely good, infinitely loving God. And it is deserving then of infinite punishment. Yeah. So hell doesn't, isn't a correctional place. It is a place for just punishment. Mm. And you know, we're, we keep hitting the same tone over and over again, which is how important the doctrine of total depravity is, um, that we're sinners. And we talked, we started out with this way. What do you do with that? Right. But we're seeing how, how many questions are actually connected to that really profound, important theological truth. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of, I had to skip a couple questions because yeah. it's just like, it's reiterating what, yeah, yeah. what you've already totally. said. And, um, you know, I guess you could kind of look at it like this. If, uh, if, if hell is punishment, you've got the, the appeals in, in the cross mm. to, to get you out of that. In a, in a, in a way, I guess, but we'll, uh, <laughs> that get out of jail free card. Yes. <laughs> well, some people have talked about it. I mean, some people have preached in such a way where the one who's hearing is saying, I can get out of, I get my out of jail free card, you know, mm-hmm. like you play monopoly or whatever. And while I do think we're, we're actually these days, we're not, we're not preaching enough hell. I think there was a time where it was always being preached. Mm-hmm. We're not as a, I'm speaking for the evangelical um, uh, tradition here we've gone away from that actually because we've watered down we don't want to talk about the hard things or the bad things mm-hmm. you know uh, we just want to talk about love you know but right. we got to be talking about it all because right. it's in scripture because you need to understand like I feel like when it comes to salvation you need to understand what you're being saved from yeah like knowing that without a doubt I am a person that has sinned against God and I'm deserving of infinite punishment and torture because of, because of, you know, mm-hmm. what I've committed, but I've been saved from that. That just brings me to a place where I can glorify and praise God for his mercy upon mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. It's good. You got to know the bad news before you can enjoy the good. That's right, man. I've said that so many times. Mm-hmm. Any other questions for us? I think we got one last one. All right. So um, this plane. How can you take the Bible literally? Yeah, that's good, man. So story time real quick. Literally, I don't even Isn't know. Isn't that what the Bible? Talking. No. Um, <laughs> story time with Pastor Sean. So uh, I did my second THM. I see you making that face over there. Uh, at St. John's University up in Collegeville. So uh, Master of Theology degree. Part of it is you write a big thesis dissertation and you got to defend it. And part of my... Um, paper was on the hermeneutics of Gregory of Nyssa. There's more to it, but I'll just leave it at that. But as I was giving my oral presentation, you got the, these really smart people who are asking you questions. One of the questions they asked was, how can you take the Bible literally? And I was kind of put off at the time at the question because it didn't really fit like my thesis, but I was like their token conservative evangelical sure. in the, in the program. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm, this is kind of like the question you ask, you know, this type of person. 
and I had to really think and pause on it and I'll give you my answer then, but I'll, I will fill it out now. I do think there was an, there's an element of faith and trust that this is God's word. And so part of my answer was that like, I, I trust that if God exists and he has revealed himself, um, that these words are true. I remember when I was, when the Lord saved me, I was on my knees holding this Navy blue study Bible, basically saying to God, like, if you're true and what you've written is true, I have no choice but to follow you all the way through. Since then, since, you know, kind of growing and thinking about these questions more, I begin to see how the Bible really just does maps onto everyday life. Like we talked about war, for example, we were talking earlier at breakfast, like the Bible is just so raw and so real and it's, it's extremely affirming. And the Bible asks some of the most pressing questions and I'm not even getting into how the Bible self-authenticating, right? I can, I mean, that's a different apologetics argument. I can absolutely go down, but I'm just talking about it more from just from a philosophical perspective. Mm-hmm. And just kind of tease that out. Mm-hmm. And so I've just found that scripture, it answers the most pressing questions. It maps on to what we see in the world and helps us to understand life, who God is, how to be reconciled to a holy God. And I find great comfort in that. Now, Logan, you probably have another road you could go down in terms yeah. of. Yeah. So when you're asking, like, why do you take the Bible literally? Um, we have to come at this with the understanding that there is different also genres within the right. scriptures. So when we say we take it literally, basically we're meaning we take it literally based off of the genre that we're reading. Right. So when you go and you read song of songs, we're getting, song into, of getting into her- hermeneutics here. Yeah. The hermeneutics, the study of how do you read the scriptures? So can I give an example? Sure. I know you're about to give it. We're in the book of Esther right now. Yeah. And so it's, it's written like a historical book. It's telling us about true facts that existed in time. You read that differently than you read the Psalms or you read a Pauline epistle, right? Okay. And so again, hermeneutics beginning, what you're getting at, understanding the genre is extremely important. And so that helps inform how we begin to interpret scripture. Right. So go ahead. Yeah. So I was going to bring up song of Solomon or song of songs when he's talking about this beautiful woman who has sheep like, or sorry, teeth like sheep. If you're going to take a super strict literalist interpretation, <laughs> she now literally has teeth that are sheep. But that's not the genre of what's... It's poetic. It's poetry. He's just trying to oh, yeah. describe the whiteness and beauty of her teeth or like how her right. how her neck is like the Tower of David. Like right. it's not literally a tower. You have very woolly teeth. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, about all the ways that God is described. A mm-hmm. rock, a door. Is he a little rock? Is he a little... I mean literal door no right. of course not but but the metaphors are helping us to understand who god is right and so it's it's you have to take into account the actual genre so when you're reading genesis it's a historical narrative when you're reading the epistles of paul those are didactic teaching like mm. he's he's trying to teach them a specific doctrine or theology um, when you read Revelation, it's apocalyptic literature. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's very metaphorical and it's using symbols to represent things. Yep. Like it's not literally there'll be locusts with people faces coming. Those represent something because yeah. it's apocalyptic literature. That's pretty terrifying though. Yeah. If it literally happened, I would 
<laughs> I would hope that we get raptured before. Yeah, you, I'm, all I'm of a sudden not you're that a, type of person, but I'm pre trip, like, yes, pre mill guy ra- over here. Please rapture me before he's changed, it happens. He's changed his eschatology. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, we have to take the genre into account. Yeah, and you take the genre into account, and then you ask the question there's 66 books in the Protestant Bible, and all these books written by different people at different times mm-hmm. are telling the same story. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. It's remarkable that we got that just in the new Testament, but, but we have that throughout between Genesis and revelation. Like how does that happen other than God's divine providence, putting it together, right? His hand at work and in, in giving us something that we could read to know a little bit about him. And know a little bit about ourselves too, mm-hmm. and what that relationship could be. And so I find this is where I get into another angle in terms of how to defend that, ask that, answer that question. Is we see that scripture is self-affirming, right? It's all it's all self-affirming. Like all scriptures breathed out. You know, you go to Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture. Now I think at that point he was talking about the Old Testament, but we can go to other places in the New Testament to see how it's affirming over and over and over again. And so there's there's a different there's a, there's a there seems to be so many different angles we could take to defend that question. It's actually actually for me that's an easy answer. Um, the Bible itself tells us that it's true. Uh, we go outside of it. it the Bible shows us. Um, uh, generally speaking, it's, it's 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 knitted together, telling that one story. Um, I do think there's an element of walking and trusting God. And faith, that's what it kind of let out with. And I think that's good as well. And so m- many, many different ways to approach mm-hmm. that question and give answers. Kind of just a quick sidebar on that. Yeah. Kind of when you were telling me about the different genres, of mm. the different authors and things of that, it kind of reminded me of how they're doing this Star Wars um, TV series. They've got mm-hmm. lots of different directors that are yeah. taking over um, the show for specific episodes. And they, they focus on very different um you know, one might be more visual and one might be more um, trying to develop a specific character mm-hmm. and things of that. And so you, you just, you know, it's kind of, um, it, it differs from week to week, but it still has the overarching message. Yeah. Right. Um, and then I've got one last question, but it's not, it's not a, it's not one to kind of, is it about the book of Boba Fett? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Where, where, where is that in the, in the Bible? I um, think that goes right after revelation. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, 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 um, where, where, where can the listeners find out um, more more resources to kind of answer some of these questions? Um, you know, obviously we've got the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. They've got you know their their community, their, you know their church. Um, is there any websites that you guys have used or any books that have helped you out with um, apologetics or anything like that? Man, you're just teeing this up for a plug at cornfieldtheology.com. Oh wow, yeah. is that a place? Yeah. Oh, go to Cornfield Theology. Producer Corey, come on, man. Oh, sarcasm, man. <laughs> no, just kidding. Come uh, on, man. So literally go out. So you're saying I literally go out in the cornfield. Listen, all you need is a cornfield in your Bible. That's all yeah, you that's need. Right. Now, we, we uh, have the website cornfieldtheology.com. Uh, a couple purposes. One, a blog. Two, these podcasts are landing there in addition to all the outlets. And we, uh, with Logan's help here, created a resource page where if people have questions about any particular area of Christianity, um, they can go. Or not necessarily about Christianity, but humanity in general, right? Mm-hmm. We've been talking a lot about anthropology lately um, at, Redemption, at Redemption Hill Church. And so 
if you go to that resource page, you can begin to kind of map on, okay, I'm interested in apologetics. Um, we've got some particular resources there. Say these are really good resources we've used, we like, we trust. Um, check that out. So yeah. I have a, a few websites that I like to go to. Um, so first there's justdisciple.com. They have a lot of different uh, questions and blog posts trying to answer those questions. Yep. Um, I think Desiring God is also a great place to go for mm-hmm. those questions. I like Ligonier. Ligonier is fantastic. Carm is a lot more like apologetics, apologetics. Yeah. Uh, focused. Um, so they're, and that's C-A-R-M. Um, they're, they're a lot more apologetics focused. So they can, they tend to get into those like nitty gritty yeah, right. kind of yep. questions yep. Of, of like Noah's Ark and creation and stuff I like that. Should have read up on Carm, read these questions All and right. go to Carm, man. And <laughs> a bit of prepared. Uh, one that sometimes gets a lot of flack. I still like gotquestions.org. Or why does it get flack? I don't uh, I mean, so they're, they get kind of flack because they can, not that they have bad theology, just sometimes they're a little wishy-washy. I oh, think okay. Some people don't like them because they're four point rather than five. Oh, really? I don't know. Okay. And, um, so they get hated by both groups. They oh, get okay. hated by Calvinists yeah, right, because they're right. like, why aren't you five? And then they're, they're hated by other people like, why are you even four? <laughs> um, so much hate in this world, but, man. But yeah, I still like them. I still there. I think they were extremely helpful when I was first, first right. walking through. Another website, Twitter? No. <laughs> Rejected. Ooh. Don't get your theology off of Twitter. No, do not get your theology off Twitter. Oh, oh. man. Flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, I'm still on Twitter. It's like, it's like that. Uh, what's that? Uh, the like Vietnam song with the helicopters coming. Yeah, through. fortunate, fortunate song. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's good. All right, producer Corey, thanks for joining us today, man. Absolutely. Thanks for Thank all you your for help. Thanks me. for leading us in these questions. That was really good, and I hope that was helpful for you, the listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot more questions. There's a ton. I, I look into your list here. There's a lot more you could ask. But again, how long are we going to be here? Mm-hmm. You got somewhere to be. I got somewhere to be. My wife's got to go look at horses, apparently, so i got to get home. Oh, she has a great day ahead of her. Yeah. She's got to look at a bunch of horses. And you guys got to go hang out with some friends. Yeah. So And partake in Dungeons and Dragons. Still clueless on what that is. I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to be naive. You guys tried to explain it to me this morning, but it feels like it's one of those <laughs> you got like to experience glassed it. over eyes, just nodding. Uh-huh. What is this? What yeah. is this? You know, we're just, you know... You're you're getting to be an older guy. You're you're just sitting How there. Do you think you're, I am. Uh, oh, I'll get there. Um, <laughs> you just sit there. You're like the you're like the the grand the grand dad or the the father who you know is trying to show interest in in the family members, but you're just like yes, dear. Okay, that's nice. <laughs> like the time I try to teach Grandma Joan how to play Magic the Gathering. Oh. That, that did that not was, go well. Okay. Another thing that I'm oblivious uh, to. Thirty thirty nine, hard thirty nine. Forty. You're, that's pretty good, man. Forty years if, old. If this was like the Price is Right, he went under. He would have won. Over, so. One dollar, Bob. <laughs> One dollar. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks again, Corey. Um, thanks, Logan. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope it's helpful for you. If there are questions that you have about Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, put them in the comments. We would love to tackle them. Uh, maybe there's maybe it's a question that t- requires one whole podcast and not just mm-hmm. kind of spitballing several of them. Uh, Logan and I want to think well about Christian faith about Absolutely. theology, about um, God's word, and we want to help you as much as we're able to. So thanks for listening. Cornfield Theology is a ministry of Redemption Hill Church located in the Des Moines Metro um, Redemption Hill. If you're interested in checking us out, it meets at 10 a.m. at Radiant Elementary. 
and you can catch all the content from Cornfield Theology on at least the podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, and all the relevant outlets. And be sure to follow Redemption Hill on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where all of our podcasts, blogs, and sermons are posted. But the best place, as we mentioned earlier, to check out Cornfield Theology is cornfieldtheology.com. So, we talked earlier about stereotypes. I'll end with this. We are in the state of Iowa, the number one producer of corn in the United States. Are we shocked that we have a podcast in the state of Iowa called Cornfield Theology? Not one bit. Not one bit. Thanks for listening. God bless. Peace out. Bye. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.